0: You know, this has become one of my my favorite songs through the years, and I love the idea that it it, it speaks to the supremacy of who Jesus is, that there is no name greater than he. And in the second course on the bridge, the words of that that bridge have become very meaningful to me and, and really a challenge to me to say, where are you positioning yourself in comparison to the supremacy of Jesus in your life. And so let's take a moment and let's sing those words again that we find that truth. You know, if the Apostle Paul had had sung this song in 62 A.D., he probably would have thought of rivals to who Jesus was. might have been Artemis, the goddess, or the goddess Diana, and this amazing temple that's built right in the middle of the city of Ephesus where we find Ephesians 2. Maybe we think about the rivals to who God is in our modern day. It could be Mohammed or or Buddha, or if you're a Hindu, could be Shiva or whatever that would be, but can I propose to you this morning that I think in North America in 2021, the greatest rivalry to the supremacy of Jesus is you and it's me. The reality is that we have made Jesus a a part of our life, but we haven't made him our, our, our full life. We begin to rival who he is through our own selfishness and things. I mean, think about this. We, we wake up every morning worrying about what my plans are for the day. My heart's filled with, what about my glory and my reputation and my social status and my desires for the day? Lord, Lord, just let me be me, right? And God, if I need you, I'll call, but I just got to be me. somehow we've made this relationship with god in our minds like this is a 50 50 partnership and if you think about that somehow in our minds it's this idea that we both have equally contributed to our salvation we've both equally contributed to our godly living and today the apostle paul wants to remind you out of ephesians 2 that listen there is only one person who hung on the cross to pay the penalty for sin There is only one person who took the weight of the world and bore it out of his love for you that there's only one person who rose from the dead out of his own power and there's only one person in whom which salvation is truly found there is only one hero in this story and his name is Jesus Seated, the Apostle Paul is going to teach today out of Ephesians chapter 2. It's really one of my favorite sections in the entire Bible. It's really the essence of the gospel in Ephesians chapter 2. It's going to tell you a little bit why we need to be saved and how God did it. It's an amazing passage. Not only does it speak of the truth of the gospel, but what I love about it, it combats. Two truths that our culture is continuing to push at us when we think about this area, just of where evil came from. I mean, the world tells us this, that the main problem in our life is other people, right? And it also tells us that deep down that we're basically not that bad. We're, we're basically good people who maybe are a little weak and a little confused. Those are the two lies that our world continues to tell us about evil. In college, I, I was a counseling major, and so we studied different ways, and how do you help people who are in struggle and challenges, and how do you help them to get past where they are? And I'm reminded how I could see these two lies of our world propagated over and over through some of the teachings, and I think of one of the great psychologists of old, of Carl Rogers, in his person-centered theory, and this is a little bit what he says. Now listen, I want, I want you to read this to you, and I want you to hear it with discerning ears. What is this really saying about the essence of evil? All right, so here's what it says. Uh, Carl Rogers says this, the person-centered therapist learns to recognize this and trust human potential, providing clients with empathy and unconditional positive regard to help facilitate change. The therapist avoids directing the course of therapy by following the client's lead whenever possible. Instead, the therapist offers support in guidance and structure so that the client can discover personalized solutions within themselves. What's Carl Rogers saying? What's the key to helping people, right? It's to help them. You've just got to reconnect. Get in touch with your inner goodness and all will be okay. That mankind is good, right? We've just we've just lost our way a little bit in these days. Students, can I just say to you this is the thinking and the teaching that you're being propagated with over and over on our secular campuses we call it secular humanism is is what we would call it today and the apostle paul is going to unload both barrels of truth that are going to combat these two lies in a powerful way and remind us the source of evil that we have and combat i think the lies of secularism that we're faced every day a little light topic. Are you ready to go? So, if you got your Bibles, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. If you got your phones, you can go to lexcity.info. All the sermon notes are there, and uh, you can follow along as we go today. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 starts this way And you were dead in the trespasses and sin. First key word is really that it's you, right? We, we live in a time and a culture we wanna blame everyone and everything for the problems that we face, right? We're simply a victim, victim of these circumstances, victim of this person, victim of these things. And if everybody else would simply get their act together, we would have no problems. I mean, that's the thinking. The challenge is the, the Bible starts at a completely different point when dealing with what are the struggles of this world. The Bible tells us this, that, that you and me, that, that we the problem, The biggest problem in our world is sin, which we share in in common. Carl Rogers is, is so confused and so wrong if he thinks hope comes from within because the reality, the truth is that the only thing that comes from within is sin. And so we start from a different place. We're born with a sin nature. If you don't believe, parents of young children Can I get an amen from you? Uh, I love these little, they're born with a sin nature. If you have two siblings under the age of six together, I don't need to tell you, sin nature on display every day as they go back and forth, right? It's not, it's within us in what we have that's there. And the second key word, I think, that combats the lie that our culture tells us is the word dead. Go a little farther, Ephesians 2.1. And you, so it's talking to us, were dead in trespasses and sin. And when the world looks at this idea of sin, it thinks of sin as an action, it's just a bad action, right? It's like cursing or, or stealing or you know, whatever the Ten Commandments that you break. It's an action that we have. It's things that we do, but Paul says, I want to remind you that you're dead in your sins because that word dead reminds us it's not an action, but rather it's a condition uh, of your heart. Uh, let me get, say it another way. Uh, Pastor J.D. Greer says it this way. We don't do bad things which make us bad. We are bad, so we do bad things. Let me try to help you another way. If it's a condition and not simply an action, thus I steal and cheat, because, not because I want to be greedy, but because I am by my nature greedy, I steal and I cheat. One more way to help. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Do you grasp that? Paul said, man, you gotta understand this. Because this is the origin. If we don't understand the origin of the problem, we're gonna come up with the wrong remedy to solve it. So so let me remind you first and foremost that you're there. In the next two verses, Paul's going to say, let me just remind you, if you don't believe this is true, your inclination towards sin, why you do this and why it comes from within you. Go to verse two. For which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. See, sin, he just says, listen, sin comes when we give in to our natural disposition, our natural desires, our natural passions, right? We struggle with sexual purity. Why? Because we give in to the desires and the longings of our flesh that leads us down the road. By nature, we give in to whatever our flesh desires is where we go. So we think of ourselves first, right, rather than others we're stingy with our money rather than being generous because we think of self. We're, we hoard our time. We don't invest into others because it's about a me-centric thing. Ultimately, we just want to be in control, right? We want to lead our own lives and do whatever we want to do. I mean, that's, that kind of thinking, and because it's within our very nature, is what makes secular humanism so, so appetizing, so appealing. I love the idea. I love that I'm really good within I just need to to get in touch with myself as we go through these things. That's why it's so appealing. And the challenge of that kind of secular thinking is it makes us the hero of the story, right? I'm okay. I have some worth and value just because I'm a great person. Let me define it for you another way. Psychology today... Uh, define secular humanism, and listen again with discerning ears. Here's what it says. Parents, if you have children, you need to lock this in because this is stuff your kids are going to hear. Secular human begins with a denial or doubt concerning the existence of anything supernatural, including God, but then goes well beyond that secular stance by positively affirming and valuing the potential of human beings to be kind, enact justice, Solve problems. Make the world a better, safer, greener, and more humane place. All right. That's your definition that you have. Here's the problem with secular humanism. It does not work. If you th- because it never takes into account the condition of the human heart. If you think it does work, can I just encourage you just turn on your news for about a half hour? Listen, you're gonna be reminded we are not kinder. We are not showing more justice towards one another. The world is not a safer, greener, or more humane place. When I turn on my news and I'm reminded of the human heart, I'm reminded that this, that we are greedy liars who thirst for power. In 2021, we're still killing the unborn and we're still committing genocide in different places in our world, killing people because of their race or their gender or their religion. We gossip, we slander, We destroy relationships with one another out of arrogance or selfishness. We could go on and on and on and list these things. Can I just remind you, we're not getting better just because we're becoming more enlightened. The human condition continues to be one of a fallen people. Verse three, right? That's what Paul says. Among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desire of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, And the one thing that's the beauty, whether you're online or we're here, that we all share in common since the Garden of Eden is that by our nature, we tend to follow the desires, the the inclinations, the passions of our flesh rather than submitting ourselves to the authority of Jesus in in our lives. And because of that, what have we earned? We've earned judgment, right? Romans 6, for the wages of our sin is death. The Bible tells us because of our attitudes and our actions, we deserve hell. We deserve separation from a holy God because of our own actions that we have. Now, listen, that's a, that's a harsh truth and a little discouraging at times. But can I remind you that the condition of the human heart is discouraging all the time? It's depressing, right, about where we are. But here's the beauty that I love is that when we think about the grace of God, we can't fully understand and appreciate And be grateful for the grace of God until we fully understand the depravity of man. See, when I don't think I'm fully depraved, the challenge is I begin to dismiss a little bit of the grace of God. It's great, it sounds good in a song, but you know, hey, you know, God, we'll get there either way. Now, when I understand my depravity, then the grace of God becomes an absolutely amazing thing in my life. The great news is this. That the grace of God is power, more powerful than even my sin. And the good news of this we'll see a little bit in our passage because the next little part, there's two words that are, are the most powerful, most amazing words I think in, in scripture. It's this simple little conjunction that we find in verse four. So go back to verse four. Here's the conjunc- conjunction, it's simply there. But God, but God, that you and I are helpless in this moment, but God. You and I are are dead in our sins. We are helpless, but here's the great part. We're not hopeless, and God can change everything. For all of us here who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that's our story, right? It's those two little words, that conjunction that shared everything. I was heading this way to my own demise and my own selfishness, but God showed up, and things radically changed. My relationships were falling apart. My marriage was falling. My family was falling apart. I was at the end of my rope, but God showed up in an amazing way. This week, we're excited. Kids are gonna come to camp just to have fun and enjoy and have all these great things, and all of a sudden, in one of the sessions, they're gonna have a but God moment, and a heart will be changed for eternity, and generational patterns will be broken. Why? Because the grace of God is greater than our sin, but we have that wonderful but God moment. So we continue on, verse four. But God, here's what he is, is so rich in mercy... And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. And when he raised Christ from the dead, it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God... So God can point to us in all generation and future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us and showing in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God made me, who was once dead, uh, alive, and not only did he save me, but I love it, Ephesians, he seats me in heavenly realms, positionally with the Lord. And that seating there is not based on my goodness. What is it based on, Ephesians? It's based on God's kindness and God's mercy. So the question for you today is, have you experienced you know, that kind of grace in your life? Going from death to life, have you had that but God moment? you haven't, Paul goes on to explain how you can do this. Two of my favorite verses, verse eight and nine. Verse eight says this, God saved you by his grace when you believe. and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Who's the hero of the story? Who's the hero of the gospel? It's Jesus, right? We are saved by his grace. Salvation is a gift it is not a reward, and I want to give that to you again because you, you need to. Salvation is a gift. It's not a reward for the things th- that you have done. And when I say that, the challenge is right. We, we know that intellectually, and in the context of church, yeah, I, I think I, I grasp that. The challenge is we don't always feel it, and if we're not careful, our actions and our behaviors doesn't give evidence uh, of that truth that that God really has given us this amazing free gift. Somehow, and it's by our nature, right? We always like to insert ourselves into the story, right? We wanna insert ourselves into the equation, like like we are part of the reason that we are where we are, and God needed a little bit of help. I mean, that's what the Apostle Paul is fighting in Ephesians chapter two, right? He's dealing with the the Pharisees, and the Pharisees had this idea that the way a person gets saved is through the law. And Paul says, listen, I, I I want to remind you, when Jesus came, when Jesus died on the cross, he fulfilled the law. You no longer are saved by following these rules and doing these things. You're now saved in what Jesus has done for you on the cross. So he's just saying, listen, don't insert yourself into the equation through your following of the law. We don't call it the law anymore, right? We we call it things like good works. How do you know you're saved? Well... If, if I do enough good things, right, that overcome my bad things, then, then that's how I get saved. That's how I, I come to a relationship with God. And we've inserted all different kinds of things of good works we can do. Helping the poor, being kind to our neighbor, you know, recycling uh, would be there. Since so psychology today says that's part of our uh, humanism, if we get to that point. So if we do these things, then, then I'm, I'm a good person. That's what saves me. I always like to ask folks, too, in different relations, tell me a little bit about your faith journey. You know, great question always is, you know, if you died today and you stood before God and God said, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? You know, one of the things I hear probably almost the most, I've always kind of been say, I always kind of known God uh, my grandma, was a, was, she was just a, she was a great God-fearing person, went to church, took us to church. I, I think I've always kind of been saved and always knowing God. We kind of have this idea of this, that we're saved through generational faith, like it's this family heirloom that's just passed on from generation to generation. Can I remind you, the truth of the gospel is that each one of us will stand and give an account for our own faith in a different way. It's not a passed on thing, it's an individual thing, but if we're not careful, we begin to trust in that trust in just my my, my neighbor growing up um, was mary mary was an amazing such a kind lady strong catholic Uh, she went to mass all the time followed all things ate fish on the right day and been confirmed and all of these kind of things and so my mom who always has a heart for people who are far from god would have spiritual conversations with mary a lot mary tell me a little bit about how would you get to heaven Mary would recite, these are all the things that I've done, these are the places I do, and it's this idea, you know, if I just have clean living, then that's going to be enough to save me. Mary's getting up in years. Mary, are you sure? (laughs) Do you think you've done enough good? I mean, is that what you're trusting in? And on one day, as my mom's sharing, the, the blinders come off her eyes of spiritual death and all of a sudden, spiritual truth. And my mom shares her the truth of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And Mary realizes, listen, I've been trusting in all of these things to get me to heaven. And I just realize that Jesus did all this for me, that I just need to believe. And Mary, at the age of 70-something, places her faith in Christ. And it was this wonderful moment. Why? The truth of, of what it was. We do the same thing in church world, right? If we're not careful, even in Christendom, we, we tend to add things that either... Kind of get us the rest of the way in our salvation, seal our salvation, or kind of just help. I and mean, we add all different kinds of things. You know, if, uh, if I'm baptized, then for sure I know I'm saved, right? If I have spiritual gifts that they're manifested in a certain way, then I know I'm saved. Uh, if I listen to Caleb, uh, then I know I'm saved, and I got all these things, right? And if we're not careful, we put these little things that just kind of push it to the next level on us. Well, Ephesians chapter 2 teaches very clearly that all of these things are great, but these are all part of our sanctification. They're not part of our justification. In other words, Paul is reminding us this, that Jesus' death on the cross was full and complete, and there's nothing that we can add to it, and there's nothing we can take away from it. These are all byproducts of a relationship with Jesus. They are not what creates the relationship with Jesus. Remember this, when Jesus died on the cross, Remember that the, the veil in the temple was ripped in half and the holy and holies, where the presence of God was, was now available to man and man could enter in? Can I remind you that Jesus didn't rip the, the veil 95% and say, ooh, I couldn't quite get there the rest of the way. Could you finish up the last 5%? No, he says, man, my death was enough, ripped in half. As I thought about that this week, and thankfully Jesus is not snarky like me, but if it would have been me, I... Whenever somebody wants to add to the work, I, I would have felt like saying things. Were you there when they spit on me and mocked me? Were you there when, when they beat me and whipped me? Were you there when I died on the cross and took upon the, the weight of the world and the sins of the world? Were you there? I didn't see you anywhere. So don't put yourself up there now. What I did for you, I did full and complete. So you would have to do nothing. It's the power of that. So he goes on to say this for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works. Caleb's not gonna, not gonna get you there. Even if you give money a telephone, it's not gonna get there. Generational faith it's not our own works, it's not even the works of generations past, right, this is a personal thing with you and the Lord, it's not there, and recycling, it's just, I'm confused by it all, you know, clean living, how do I define even what clean living is, can I, maybe my actions are clean, but my attitudes, it's not even there, right, in the law, Jesus says, man, I came to fulfill the law, I'm the fulfillment of it, you couldn't do it, so I did it for you, this is what you can't It can't be results of your works. And baptism's this response to what Jesus has done in our life and spiritual gifts are a manifestation of the spirit already living within you. It's not to get it. And, and good works that we go in, and on and on these things. And he says this, these are, it's a gift of God. It's not of your works. So why? So that no man may boast. All these things have a little bit of me connected to them. And Jesus says, you know why not? You want to know why I have no rivals? Because nobody can do for you what I did for you. You want to know why you don't have any rivals? Because you can't add or take away anything I did for you on the cross. It was full and complete. And what I love about Ephesians chapter 2 is it's past tense, if you go and look. These are the works that Jesus did on the cross that he has already, that you have been saved, right? If you believe in faith in Jesus Christ. Earlier, I, I'm seated uh, in the heavenly realms. I'm, it's a past tense. Jesus has done all this work for us. The gospel simply reminds us this, that we need to accept or believe and have faith in what Jesus has done. The gospel gets really simply defined, right? It, it is the depravity of man and the grace of God. Don't make it more than that. It's the depravity of where we need and in need of, a, of help, the reality that you and I can do nothing that we can't add to what Jesus has done for us on the cross. So today, if you hear that, and it makes you feel, ooh, man, I feel a little unworthy of that, then can I just say to you, you're at exactly the right place. When you hear about the grace of God in comparison to your life, you're saying, man, if you only knew, if you only knew, two or three years ago, things I've done. If you only knew this last week, the things that I said in a a moment of anger and wrath, uh, God wouldn't save you. Can I just remind you, this is the incredible two words that we talked about, but God, but God, you know, it's Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. So today, if you've never experienced that kind of grace in your life and that kind of forgiveness, in just a few moments, I wanna give you a chance to respond to that. So here's what we're gonna do today, and I'm gonna share a few things with you. We've blocked some time out today because I think the reality of the cross is that the cross calls us to response, right? For some of you, that response is, "I, I think, as I think about it, I'm trusting in all these things in order to save me, and I hear you saying today, it's just gotta be about Jesus. If you've never experienced that, can I invite you in just a moment, we're gonna stand and sing and we're gonna move with some different things, that our prayer team is gonna be just right down here. And during that time, if you just say, I, I've got questions, or maybe today you feel the Lord moving your heart and today it's like, I need to make that right with God, they'll be down here, they would love the chance just to pray with you. For today, for many of you, you've placed that you've got faith in Christ at that moment, today, I wanna invite you, our altars are gonna be open. We've got time during this. And maybe it's one or two things. Maybe if we're honest in these moments, we've found ourselves putting ourselves into the story in different ways. Maybe it's just a moment of just confession and just you and the Lord to say, God, I just apologize. My pride has put me in a story that's about you. God, I just want to today take time to acknowledge there is no rival and it can't be me. Or maybe it's time just to come down and just in a heart of gratitude, right? God, I thank you for what you've done. Ephesians, so amazing. Ephesians chapter one, that God loved me before the foundations of the earth. It's unbelievable, I can't grasp it. Knew me and loved me. Ephesians two, he loved me so much that he died for me. And he did everything, not out of my own goodness, but because of his grace and his mercy. Maybe it's just time you wanna take a few moments and just come down and just thank the Lord, wherever that would be. And the third one today is, is we wanna take communion together and really a time of remembrance and reflection. Again, I think the Lord asked us to do this because when we're reminded of the cross, I'm reminded of my position in relationship to the cross. When I forget about Jesus's suffering, I, I tend to elevate self. I tend to be more thrilled with myself than I really need to. When I look at the cross, I'm reminded that this is the depravity of my heart, but God, and so we're gonna take communion and in just a moment I'm gonna pray and here's what we're gonna do today. We've got our elders that are gonna be positioned in different places around the room and as you come, we've got just little communion cups, little high-tech post-COVID cups here. You can peel off the top, the bread's there. The drinks there on the side, it's amazing, I know. And uh, so you could take this and back to your seats and when you're done, you can throw them in a receptacle or put them in your chair, whatever. But I just wanna take time to remember, to reflect, to celebrate the goodness of God who knows everything about you and still loves you. Think about that the only unconditionally loved relationship you'll have in your life. God says, I knew you, and I love you. So I'm gonna pray. We're gonna sing. You've got time. No rush. We'll give your kids more cookies, whatever. They'll be fine, all right? Just take these moments, and let's just respond together. Father, thank you for the truth of the gospel that reminds me of my human depravity, And reminds me of your goodness. Thank you for your body that was broken and your blood that was shed that I might experience forgiveness in a relationship with you. So Lord, in these next moments, we just respond. We pray, we seek, we confess, we celebrate that you have no rivals, including us. Thank you for being the hero of our story. In your name we pray. Amen.